We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings. Bit of a shift in sports media over the past week or so. There were layoffs at The Athletic, the continuing layoffs at ESPN. Other places out on the West Coast have been firing and laying off or disintegrating jobs in content media. There's a radio station in Canada that was owned by TSN that went completely under in Edmonton. They took it completely off the air. So jobs are disappearing in the sports media space at a time when sports media and sports content demand is at an all-time high, which is really interesting. So I don't really have a grasp on really what's going on. So I wanted to bring in someone who's been around the industry, been around some of these layoffs over time, I'm guessing sure. So Steve McAllister, my former instructor, when I was in broadcasting <laughs> school, right now, you are the editor-in-chief of Gaming News Canada. Obviously, you were with Yahoo Sports for a really long time, and you've worked in a lot of traditional sports media over the years as well. So thanks for coming on, for one thing. And two, I mean, how many cycles of this have you seen over the years? Uh, quite a few, Pat. And, and uh, it's, it's you know, on one hand, it's great timing for, for you and I to chat. On, on the other hand, it's lousy timing, given what you uh, laid out a second ago about the layoffs this week at The Athletic and TSN 1260 in Edmonton shutting down yesterday. But to be completely candid, it's one of the reasons why I, I got out of the sports media business in 2016. Um, uh, right before the uh, Rio Olympics in, in Brazil, I had uh, informed my bosses at Yahoo Canada that I was stepping down as managing editor of sports there. I was really disheartened by the layoffs I'd seen at our place and cutbacks of some of the coverage, and we'd let go some bloggers. And uh, we had lost Nick Katsunika, our National Hockey League columnist. And uh, it, it just, uh, you know, it's it funny. I went, I went home one night uh, a week before the Olympics and just said to my wife, I can't do this anymore. And uh, <laughs> was quite emotional about it. And, uh, you know, luckily, uh, you know, as you've you found your your uh, place and, and your voice in, in the sports betting industry, I kind of got a second chance here with uh, with Parlay Media Group and, and starting Gaming News Canada back in February 2020, 21. And uh, while it's not exactly making me a rich a rich person one right now. 
uh, it's certainly been a labor of love and and I really enjoy getting back to my my roots as, as a journalist. Well, I, the one thing that I've noticed is that we'll get to the athletic in a second, because that's a I mean, it seems like it should be a really good revenue model where it's subscription based, although you can get it for you know a dollar per year as a sign up bonus. And they had done something they'd raised over a hundred million dollars from venture capitalists before they sold to the New York Times. They, the original founders kind of double dipped on the money that they were getting from that. But since The Athletic went under the umbrella of the New York Times, they have doubled their subscription base. They're up over three million subscribers. So it's I mean, they only laid off four percent of their workforce. So is this them throwing in the towel on certain beats? I saw they moved a bunch of reporters around to different beats. Or is this just like a natural cleanse of the workforce where, hey, we have some redundant jobs. And listen, I, I've worked at a lot of places. Not every employee you have is going to be really great. So maybe there's some time to get rid of some. Uh, yeah, Pat, listen, covering sports is an expensive proposition. When when I was sports editor at the Globe and Mail uh, between 2000 and 2009, um, we had a staff of 25 people. Uh, they included, uh, you know, we had Lauren Rubenstein covering the golf as a freelance columnist at the time. Tom Tebbett was going out to all the Grand Slams uh, for us as a as a freelance columnist as well. Uh, with our full time staff, we we had a travel budget of about a million dollars a year. And uh, just talking to a few people around the industry this week, that uh, I think that's one of the uh, one of the reasons uh, why the Athletic um, made the decisions they did, or the New York Times is because uh, The Athletic, I think, you know, had an awful lot of beat writers. Uh, so there are travel costs associated with doing that. And as, as you've seen, Pat, The Athletic did go out and hire a lot of high-profile journalists uh, since since its launch. And, and again, you're paying those journalists a lot of money. And my understanding is that, you know, because some of my former, some of former colleagues of mine joined The Athletic, and they were they were paying very competitive salaries and, and made it quite easy for those people to make the decision to leave traditional media and join the athletic way back when. Yeah, it seems to be sort of a running theme where, you know, when you're a startup, the only way that you can kind of buy credibility is either to match, overpay, create great incentives for people to come. And then once it starts to get to the point where you actually need to churn out a profit, and not just create all this new revenue uh, that investors want to get in, eventually they want to get their money back. And then all of a sudden you need to start cutting costs because we're seeing it at ESPN as well. They went through one round of layoffs and this is just overall something that's happening at Disney in general that you, know, you cut X amount of people, the stock price can go up a little bit, but it's really strange. And I think it kind of leads to where sports media is going at the moment. So they cut all these jobs on the back end, producers, researchers, whatever it may be in Bristol. And then they go out and they sign Pat McAfee to you know, $15 million a year, or whatever it was. And I think it just kind of shows that are people just less concerned about, I don't know, I don't want to say legitimate journalism. I love Pat McAfee, but he's a personality. He has a big audience. And it seems like anyone who's getting any dollars or cents right now, I mean, he just left FanDuel, that if you're not associated with one of these gambling companies who have all the money right now, how are you going to pay for it? Yeah, that's a really fair assessment, Pat. And then one of the things that, uh, you know, really drove me crazy when I was at Yahoo, uh, Marissa Mayer was CEO and decided to pay a billion dollars for Tumblr. Uh, which, you know, just made no business sense at all. And at the same time, Yahoo was laying off people and, and uh, you know, laying off engineers, laying off editorial people. 
uh, you know, they they imposed Tumblr, the Tumblr platform on our on our editorial system, which made again made no sense sense at all. And it's almost it does have that feeling of chasing the shiny object. Um, you know, it's funny. I uh, Craig Daniels, who was the deputy sports editor at the Globe when I was when I was there, we we had a visit on the uh, on the weekend, and we were talking about you know having twenty five people when we were there at the Globe. And that department now is down to uh, to three writers, a sports editor, and one copy editor, and uh, and it, it just and I think that's you know that's just not the Globe and Mail. I think that's common at media outlets across the uh, uh, across North America. And you made a good point at the top of this segment, Pat. And it 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 is a time where there's so much going on in the world of sports, and it, it does seem really ironic at a time where we're seeing more sports, uh, you know, women in sports. Uh, you're seeing emerging sports like like pickleball, believe it or not, and then just the sports betting component of that. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense that you see media outlets trimming trimming staff and trimming resources. Do you think that's because there are people who are self sufficient enough now to run this themselves? Like for example, uh, I always kind of point to this because I think it's been such a success story that uh, Andrew Patterson in Winnipeg, uh, he was at the local TSN affiliate there doing a drive time radio show every single day i remember talking to him uh you know they got their staff cut a lot of people got laid off and he left to go start his own venture so essentially he's doing a very similar thing he's covering exclusively winnipeg sports uh, and there's you know, there's probably very limited like athletic beat writers for athletic winnipeg if, if there is if that even exists which i don't know that if it does that he kind of filled that void of I am going to cover something very straightforward. It's going to be Winnipeg sports only with, you know, a dash of if the Super Bowl is happening, just the bigger sporting events. But primarily, my audience are people who care about these sports in particular. Now, he has become sort of the voice over there. But the big difference is he's not on salary from Bell and, you know, collecting pity stop options and making you know probably a pretty low salary. Now he can go out and get advertisers. He can go out and own all that com- content and sell it for whatever he wants, monetize it in podcast form and video form, sell it off to third parties locally if they want that on their air as well and really drive engagement and be the voice that way. That That's something that uh, I know up here in Canada that TSN Radio wanted to do. It was never super successful when they launched it because Rogers always had sort of a beat on that but he's been able to get bigger than them. It's sort of the athletic model, but it's independently owned. I always thought of an idea and it would just take way too much startup fund. Is could you create the athletic with what he is doing in each individual city? I, I don't think that you could because it would depend so much on the person doing it and they would need to have the skills to be small staffed in order to create that revenue for themselves. But it does seem that if you can do this by yourself, your earning potential kind of goes through the roof now. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Pat. I mean, you're you're a great to be blunt. You're a great example of that. You, you've got to be you've got to be a hustler. You you have to have some business savvy. And in my experience, and I'll include myself in that, is that the sports journalists don't tend, for the most part, to have a lot a lot of business savvy. So, uh, you know, so it is a daunting task and. And also it, it's and and I struggle with this a little bit in my role at Gaming News Canada, where, you know, I'm I'm a journalist. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm also meeting with companies trying to get sponsorship and advertising. And as you can appreciate, that's that's kind of a slippery, uh, a slippery slope uh, to, to ride. So 
Um, the one thing I will say, I, I, I do think, um, you know, traditional media newspapers in particular, I, I, you know, I think really, really failed to, uh, to properly monetize sports departments and sports pages. And uh, during my time at the Globe, I, I would sit down with our salespeople and, and point at, as you mentioned earlier, Pat, major events. And I would say to our guys, like, listen, we've got Lauren Rubenstein and Michael Granger going to the Masters. Uh, surely to God, we can get TaylorMade or Titleist or FootJoy or Callaway to, to sponsor a page in the Globe sports section for the week. And, you know, we have Lauren's column on that page every day and we've got Mike Grange writing and it may, you know, you do an interesting graphic from the open. I think companies would have been all, all over that then. And there was just never the appetite for that. And, you know, it's funny, I was talking to someone about this yesterday, I ran into a, a guy who's been a longtime handicapper who was telling me that he couldn't buy advertising in the Toronto Sun back in the day. And I remember working at the Canadian Press in the late 80s, and, and we would actually count the, uh, we would count the strip joint ads in the Toronto Sun sports section on a, on a Monday morning, on a Monday, and it was usually like, not a word of a lie, 21 to 30 strip joints in Toronto that were advertising in the sun. And that was obviously, you know, that was monetizing and, and funding the Toronto Sun sports section at the time when the sun had a, a really, uh, you know, just a great roster of writers uh, and, and was, an, was an outstanding sports section in a highly competitive market. So how did it work at Yahoo Sports when you were there? I mean, that's when I met you. Uh, when, you know, like I said, when I was in broadcasting school, uh, I met you as a new media instructor as we were going through everything. And like, I was using Yahoo a lot at the time. That was the first place that I played fantasy 20 years ago was on Yahoo Sports. And that's still kind of the primary location of all of the home leagues with all my friends that I've had over that time that we've just never switched off of it. So we're very familiar uh, with what goes on over there. But it does seem like, I mean, that Yahoo Sports for basically since its inception through I would say like 2020 was one of the premier destinations to go to get sporting news. It was up there with ESPN and CBS and all of the different places, the nationally where you would kind of go, but it, it seems like it's fallen off a bit in terms of the traction. They launched Yahoo Sportsbook, but that doesn't seem to be doing anything. They have a daily fantasy game that no one plays. You, you mentioned acquiring things that make no sense and then laying off staff. It, it seems like it's been wildly mismanaged over the past five years or so. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Pat. I mean, when I when you and I were together at the College of Sports Media back around, I guess, 20, uh, what, 2011, 2012, <laughs> 2010, there you go. Uh, my first year at Yahoo, um, Yahoo Sports, what the model there was, uh, Dave Morgan, who had been a, a sports editor at the Los Angeles Times, was hired by Yahoo, and he went out and effectively poached some of the best journalists in the country. So, Adrian Wojnarowski was there at the time, you know, basically kicking everybody's ass on, on NBA coverage. Uh, Dan Wetzel was one of the leading sports columnists in, in the country. Uh, there was a, a young Brit, Brit named Martin Rogers, who was just a, a fabulous storyteller. Uh, Jeff Passan was was covering uh, covering baseball. And, and you know, I, I think Jeff's one of the best baseball writers today. Uh, and then also people like Charles Robinson, like the the Yahoo was actually doing investigative stories into uh, into corruption in the NCAA and among NCAA programs. And and uh, when I got hired there in 2010, originally I was I had applied for a, a basically a programming role on on uh, Yahoo Sports, 
uh, they wanted to expand their Canadian sports property a little bit. And when I sat down with their people and they looked at my resume, um, they made the decision that, hey, let's bring this guy in and allow him to build a team. And uh, at that time, we we were placing a heavy focus on junior hockey because Yahoo in the U.S. had seen what their rivals product had done where, you know, people were paying a subscription fee to, to get college sports news from their alma maters with highly successful. And uh, Yahoo thought they could create a franchise there with junior hockey. And it, as you know, Pat, it's just a different model. You In the, in the States, Americans are, pas- are passionate, crazy about college sports. You know, they drive across the country to go watch your alma mater uh, football team play every every weekend and and uh, you know that model wasn't going to work but at the same time we carved out a niche at Yahoo where we became a destination for junior hockey fans and we brought in Sanaya Sapergi, uh to to lead that to lead that coverage uh, hired Nate Sager to uh, to be uh, to be our blogger uh, and we kind of followed that Yahoo model. The, the other part of the secret sauce to Yahoo Sports at that time, if you'll remember, what were those blogs and Greg Wyshynski. That's where Greg made, made his mark as the editor of, of Puck Daddy. And we had, uh, you know, Dan Devine and um, I'm trying to remember the other fellow's name, but Ball Don't Lie, the basketball blog. Um, so, uh, we had another guy who, uh, you know, who had a, a, a tennis blog that was getting lots of coverage. And and uh, again, I, I wish I could remember the brand names for these blogs, but uh, our, you know, our baseball blog was was tremendous. And so it was that combination of really good journalism you know, reporting opinion, and then the blogs where we we were reacting quickly to things, to news that happened. And the other thing, Paul, I'm sorry, I'm, uh, Pat, I'm going on here, but uh, you know, the the Olympics, Yahoo Sports completely owned the Olympics to the point where NBC Sports finally came crawling to Yahoo and said, "We've got to do a partnership deal because on digital, you guys are absolutely killing us during the Olympics because yeah, Yahoo just with the blogs and with their with writers." I was one of 35 people at the Vancouver Olympics in 2010. I mean, there's there's no way, I don't know if anybody in North America comes even close to sending 35 people to the Olympics today outside of the rights holders. Do you think that, I mean, in retrospect, let's say the next time that the Olympics come around in North America, so 2028 in Los Angeles, will most of these places just be sending one person to cover the major events and then everyone else who's blogging on it or writing stories about it is just going to watch it on TV and report that way. I I think so. And we're seeing that now, Pat, where, you know, papers are covering the Stanley cup playoffs or NBA finals off off the television. And that was sacrilege when I was at the globe and mail and, 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 you know, at other destinations, but before that, um, you know, newspapers for the most part have stopped sending photographers to the uh, the Olympics, which is a, a shame. And there's just a heavy reliance now on if it's photos you're looking for, you're looking at Getty Images and and the Associated Press and Reuters and the and the Canadian Press. And if you're a newspaper or, or a website, you're also leaning heavily on the wire services to provide that written content during the games and. And that's that's a shame. I mean, it's it's uh, you know, you can only do so much from from a television set. And and there'll be people out there who will say, well, you know, look at, you know, Steve McAllister and Pat Mayo. They you know, they're they can write a game story off TV or, or, you know, Pat Mayo can weigh in on the on the Leafs Jets games last night from his his uh, home studio and in the Maritimes. Uh, It's just it's just different. Like being being around the a team being in the dress room, talking to scouts, talking to coaches, 
talking to other media people and in, in person um again it just it just makes you better at the job and and it's it's you know just a complete difference trying to do a job from sitting at a you know sitting in your basement we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It does seem like the only way that that's going to be viable going forward to actually send people to events is almost going to be an individual person owning a Substack blog or some sort of subscription site that they can monetize themselves and then they will have to pay for the expenses to go do it, hoping that they can sell the subscriptions for enough that that type of content is still so useful for people that they would want to go and do that to get the, you know, you can get... 500 people who watch the game on TV and write their reports. And then this one person who is self-funded and selling subscriptions to it is going to be able to be on the scene, to be in the locker room, to provide you that sort of insight. Like that's seemingly the only feasible way to do it financially with, without going bankrupt now. (laughs) Yeah. And I think sports organizations are going to have to be a lot more flexible in that accreditation process, Pat. And I, and I think, I think that's already started to happen. And, and, um, you look at how many Twitter followers does somebody have or how many subscribers on a Substack page. And, and uh, you know, as we've seen with gaming news, Canada, like writing newsletter on, on Substack has worked out, worked out quite well. And, and creating a podcast out of LinkedIn audio uh, conversations every Thursday afternoon, that, that that's doing, uh, doing well for us. Uh, you know, I look at someone like Ken Campbell, the former hockey news and Toronto star hockey writer, Ken's, Ken's transition and and he has a very uh, a, a very good blog on on Substack now, uh, but yeah, the organizations are going to have to be flexible. It's it's interesting. We've uh, Homestand Sports. We've really struggled with Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment trying to get um, media passes for for the Maple Leafs and, and Raptors. And uh, again, in fairness to the communications people at at, uh, at MLSC. Uh, they're getting a lot of these re- requests now, and I think it goes to your point that there are a lot of um, uh, people out there, either people starting their careers or, or people who have left traditional media and, and trying to do their own thing now, uh, and MLSC trying to figure out how do you, uh, you know, how do you say yes to this person, no that person, and there also there's also some nervousness too just around the whole the whole sports betting thing. So I had, I mean, I have a question about that, but I think the one thing that I wanted to hammer down on, uh, based on a lot of the hires that were made, and I've seen it myself, at 
either new media companies or startup video companies uh, that all kind of gravitate around sports media, a lot of the times the people that are brought in to run these things are from some sort of old media. So if I'm starting up a random video company uh, and I want to have uh, almost like, let's just use Mayo Media Network as an example. So I have 12 shows on this network. I EP them all and I have my producers that run the individual shows and the hosts that run the individual shows. But let's say I got a big VC funding. Someone gave me $50 million to blow it out and I need to have 30 shows or you know make those 12 shows go on every single day. And I thought to myself, you know who I need? Someone who's worked at ABC for 30 years to come in and really give me a hand. And it seems like it happened at old media, it happens at new media, that they just bring in these old hats because of experience. But the problem is, as we were talking about before the show, unless you're really up to date on what the latest technology is, you're going to do everything in the most inefficient way possible if all you've known is these big budget projects over the years. And I've seen it cripple a lot of like, especially startup video places where they bring in traditional TV people who worked in sports media who just have no idea how to produce content for the web. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You, you, you have to wear several hats. And again, we were talking off camera about you, you know, taking on a more active role producing today. And, and that's part of the, part of the gig. And to be honest, that's why, uh, you know, we have six founders at Parlay Media Group. Um, two of us have longtime media backgrounds. I mean, Mike Day was at TSN for almost almost 30 years and produced uh, uh, the Sports Center show, ran the NHL network. Um, you know, you know my resume. And we we don't touch we don't touch the homestand sports side of the business because we have complete faith in in uh, in Kevin Kennedy and and uh, you know Kevin's a guy who's who does have. Uh, a, a unique and and things outside the box and he surrounded himself with some good good young people uh, both on the production side and the talent side and uh yeah I, I think you rather than bringing some guy in who's got 25 years experience where you're going to have to pay him a, an awful lot of money you know I would use use that money to to hire three or four people and and develop people and help them find their niche, whether it's behind the behind the camera or or in front of the camera. The other thing I would say too, Pat, is you have to, if, if when you run these ventures, you got to think of how are we going to monetize this? And, you know, am I, can we find a sports book to sponsor a show? Can we do a partnership with a sports book uh, to, you know, to use their people on shows? And, and I think it's, you know, just really easy to take VC money and just run with it. And that's not a that's not a, a, a path to a sustain, sustainable long term business if that's the route you choose. Yeah, I, I found in terms of profitability, if you're actually going to make a dollar and a cent in the business, that the best way to do it is to just keep your costs down. Don't necessarily launch any sort of show that's going to be wildly unprofitable at the beginning. And that's what we've kind of seen with a lot of these bigger, especially people who have left large platforms and then gravitated towards doing their own thing now or starting their own production companies. They're getting bank for creating these companies uh, and they've brought their distribution with them and they're able to build a very large platform. And most of it comes from the gambling companies spending because they don't want it. DraftKings doesn't want this guy going to FanDuel. BetMGM doesn't want this guy talking about typical sports or whatever it might be. There's so many of them floating around right now. The problem is when we talk about monetization, sometimes they're paying these people so much money that it's impossible to actually make any profit off of it for you. Yeah, it's good advertising. 
getting yourself out in front of so many people. But one thing that I'm actually kind of stunned that the sports books, I understand why they do it because they want to acquire new customers, but they're going after a lot of viewerships and fan bases of these shows that just have people that aren't interested in gambling. It's hard to sell people who aren't interested in gambling on gambling. It might actually make them tune out of the show, or you're just flushing your money down the toilet to people who are never going to deposit anyway. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. And it's funny, I, I moderated a panel uh, at the Canadian Gaming Summit here in Toronto yesterday with uh, Connor Murray from FanDuel, Jared Bieber from Bet99, and Chris Abbott from Botano. And, and uh, I do think that FanDuel, with the TSM relationship, has actually done a pretty good job uh, integrating integrating their the FanDuel product into into sports media and into TSN's you know quote editorial editorial product and and uh, but you know we've seen a lot of examples and I've been you know criticals like Sportsnet's really struggled Sportsnet's really struggled with Hockey Night Canada I think you know a significant percentage of why people are are ticked off um, it's not just the sports betting advertising, but I just think Sportsnet hasn't been very sophisticated or very creative in integrating betting content into the Hockey Night in Canada broadcast. And I think a lot of people don't separate the betting content from the betting advertising. Uh, so that's that's been a stress stress point for, for them. Um, and, you know, the other thing I'll say too, Pat, is – you know, back in the day, and it, it, probably before your time, there used to be something called advertorials in the newspaper business. And advertorials were a dirty word. And, and a journalist wanted nothing to do with an advertorial because basically you're writing a story on behalf of a company. And it tended just to be a lot of, you know, branding BS and, and messaging and talking points. Uh, that's evolved through all forms of media. And now we talk about branded content. And you can actually do effective, you can do effective storytelling and integrate a, a brand, in, brand into it. And it could be something simple as you sitting in your studio with a can of Coke on your desk um, or something where you, where you, uh, you know, one example, talking about Sportsnet, BetMGM sponsored a segment during the hockey season called BetMGM Showdown. And all it was, was it was interviewing uh, a former NHL player, sitting down for two minutes and having them tell some stories. That's, you know, they're not, they're not ramming odds down your throat or, or money lines or same game parlays. It's just attaching their brand to a, to a storytelling segment. And, and, and that works. And I think, I think to be honest, Pat, uh, you know, traditional media are having a tough time just figuring it out. How do we cater to, uh, you know, do, how do we, do we need to cater to sharp betters? Do we, you know, how do we, how do we treat newbies and, and educate them? And, uh, and I will say too, in, in fairness to everybody here, we, this, this is still early days. We're only 14 months into a legal market in Ontario. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be too critical here. No, but I, I think I think you kind of hit the nail on the head about the integration. I mean, not that I you know, sit down and watch a ton of hockey, but I did actually want to check out how these gambling segments were going to be integrated at both the major companies up here, because I've seen how they've done them like on, let's, let's say, like NFL countdown when Rex Ryan is giving out his DraftKings lineup on. It. It's like, all right, um, he doesn't really seem to have any clue of what we're talking about here as it pertains to that. Because being you know proficient at gambling is not the, exactly the same thing as being proficient analyzing a sport. I mean, a lot of it is just data driven. That's how this entire process is going to work. Now, 
I think yes. that they want to appeal to people's emotions. And that's how you're going to get a lot of first time betters. Like, hey, we're boosting up, like to take the example of TSN or Sportsnet. Hey, the, the, the Maple Leafs are minus 150 on the money line. But tonight, if you use promo code TSN, you can get them. You bet 100 bucks, you get 100 bucks. It's going to be even money if you go sign up plus a deposit bonus. Like that actually makes a lot of sense in trying to sell it. The issue that I found, especially uh, with both American networks and Canadian networks, and there are outliers with this, everyone who talks about gambling on these networks, unless it is a very specific gambling-related show, seemingly has never placed a bet in their life, which hurts the content on both ends because it seems super forced, it seems super produced, and then the people who would actually want to bet on stuff or at least have some interest in it had now have no interest because you're like, well, this isn't real. People are just like, I, I watched... There was an it was some segment on TSN before they threw to a game at one point, and they were just reading odds. That was it. I mean, that's fine, but that's a graphic on the screen. This is television. It's a visual medium. You can throw that up. And like there was no analysis, no insight, no what does minus 125 mean? What does minus 200 mean? Is there a probability attached to that? It's like, no, here are the first goal score odds. Minus one. 10 Connor McDavid and just read out a list of 20 people like this. This isn't even TV. This isn't content. I don't know what this is. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll tell you with TSN. I mean, I like Mike Johnson and the mystic or mystic or magic Mike, whatever they call the seg segments, but Mike Johnson's a guy. And I, I interviewed Mike when I was writing the sports betting column for the Toronto star uh, a year or so ago. And, and Mike, like he took pride and did his homework with those picks and, um, you know, I hate I hate the word because everybody uses it, but uh, it, it is authentic. Like it's a guy who who actually you can when you listen to him talk, you know, he's placing a bet. And, uh, you know, he was like he he charts his bets because he says people I run into people at the airport and they're they're either happy with me or mad at me. But he says I take pride in doing the work in that. And I think that's been one of the failings of of the networks, Pat, is that they're they have shoved their personalities into a place to become uh you know where they're where, where they're they're promoted as, as sports betting experts by the content they deliver and it, it just it just doesn't uh it doesn't work no and it's funny i had adam Schefter on the show last year for the masters and it was just funny to hear him talking about betting on golf and playing one and done on golf because that's what he likes to do. But it's good that he has never been framed that way as a sports betting expert. He's just someone who provides information. You mentioned Woj earlier, very much the same. But it does seem, and it, this I, I don't know how prevalent this is going to be across like FS1 and ESPN, but what I've noticed in the Canadian side is that they are throwing these studio hosts. Now they're gambling experts. Or they're not gambling experts, but that is now... When you start reading out odds, that's that's just how you're going to be perceived. So you need to find a way to integrate that where you're not putting all the onus on the person talking about it, if, especially if they're not making picks, at least try to frame it within the context of what's going on. Like, for example, like if you were doing a highlight package of a baseball game, you got the Dodgers and you got the Padres, let's say, that as a part of the sports center, um, like highlight package, Maybe you could start to include in like when they hit the home run along with their stat line. It was also like, hey, plus 475 to hit, hit the home run in the game, something like that. So people can start seeing it normalized a little bit more without actual picks going along with it. it's like, oh, here's what it was. And maybe you could start to include probabilities. Do people just hate math? Is that the problem? They get really freaked out if they see like percentage signs on the screen. 
Uh, I can tell you, someone who barely passed grade eleven math, uh, Pat, that you're, you're, you've hit the nail on the head with with yours truly. Um, I think this is this has always been a struggle. I remember when we relaunched Globesports.com back in two thousand and six. Um, Neil Campbell, who was uh, one of uh, one of the uh, executive editors at the Globe at the time, Neil Neil's one of the best sports journalists this country's ever produced, and. Neil was a guy who uh, who bet on horse racing, and he, Neil was ahead of his time. Where he did he did charts and had spreadsheets, and when he sat down on Saturdays, that was you know his hobby was what, what watching and betting on horse racing. He was doing the stuff that you're doing today and was prepared. And so when we relaunched Globe Sports, we said let's let's do an NHL analytics column, and we found this guy who had his own website at the time, an, an actuary named Alan Ryder. And we provided him a feed to the, uh, we gave him a feed to the NHL data and we had him write a column in it. It was, it was a work in progress, but uh, you know, I was thinking outside the box and actually James Myrtle with the athletic now, James was at the globe and James had had his own hockey blog and James brought some of that analytical mindset to, to his writing. And, and again, it was uh, you know, traditional media kind of sneered at James at the beginning and, and uh you know, it, it it has come a long way. I, I think the I think the trepidation, Pat, is just people having a hard time uh, when they put numbers on a board it, it, explaining it. I mean, that that would be my experience, but I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that I don't think that you necessarily need to dumb down a lot of the process for a lot of people, but I think that throw that. The biggest issue is you get thrown in the deep end because you said, who are people trying to cater to? Are they trying to cater to the very casual fan? Are they trying to cater to the very advanced sharp fan? And one thing that I've always tried to do on the show is, I mean, if you were to be dropped in on my show when we talk about daily fantasy or betting and you had no clue what was going on, you're we're not holding your hand every show. But my audience is people who are kind of into this. Uh, it's hard to pick up brand new people and try to educate along the way. but just I don't I, I actually don't know what the best way to do it is. Uh, I think that there is a happy medium between talking about things casually and talking about things on a more advanced level. I think it's easier to do in football season. And I think that's why I mean, just the popularity of the NFL and maybe the popularity of the NFL had a lot to do with people betting on it before sports books were legal anyway, because it's a very easy thing to bet on this team or that team is going to win and a point spread in football is inherently a lot more intuitive than a point spread or a puck line or a run line or the spread in a basketball game like that stuff even for me it's not that it's confusing it's like i don't know what's a good line and what's a bad line versus what is a good line in football it's like oh they're favored by a touchdown they're favored by a field goal that makes a lot more sense to me and i think that's why football has had such an easier time doing that but even to look at something and maybe it's based on the way that we use the odds in north america so if you call something even money, you know, so you have plus 100 on the screen or you have minus 200 on the screen, is there an easier way to articulate to people what that actually means? Because, you know, I, I talk to my wife, I tell her, yeah, this guy, I bet on this game tonight, you know, the Nuggets were minus 200. She's like, oh, what the hell does that mean? Like, well, I would have to wager $200 in order to win $100. And there's something to that last part of it that is really hard to communicate with the mass audience who 
might be gambling curious. Like there's some people that are just never going to convert. Like you, you have to be okay with that. But for people to understand it, even if you had no interest in gambling, my dad has no interest in gambling, but I do think that he would like to know as a part of a preview, Hey, this team is minus 200 to win tonight. What does that actually tell me? Well, the sports betting market is setting it out that they think that this team has a 66% chance of winning tonight. I think that's easier to comprehend at least two thirds of the time they're going to win something just on that rudimentary level, I think gives people enough of a gambling education where they would actually feel comfortable making a wager at that point. So I'm just looking at these numbers that make no sense to them. Yeah. I mean, that what you say, Pat, that makes so much sense for both, both the sports book and the, uh, the media operator because, or sorry, the media company, because the sports book, that's, you want to get customers. So again, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a two and $3 better, and I'm I'm still learning uh, I'm still learning the, the lingo and and the the you know the, the different uh, the, the odds and everything else. Um, so yeah, if you walk me through that and and use sixty six percent probability, that that makes sense to me. And I think that's that's programming for if you're a broadcaster, you can present that information and it doesn't feel like you're you know you're you're in an out back alley with a trench coat and a fedora with with a notepad writing you know writing down odds and handing it to the handing it to the guy wanting to to make the bet. The other thing I'll say and it kind of comes back to the reason I'm I'm with you this morning is that uh if I'm if I'm a journalism program or uh, and I've talked to some sports management program people like at Brock University and, and Toronto Metropolitan University. Uh, there are a lot of opportunities in this industry right now. And I think it would be, you know, if you're running a journalism program, especially in sports media, you should have a program where they bring someone like yourself in and, and, and teach, teach the odds and the, and the probabilities and making, making gambling understandable to an audience because as we've both seen, there there are a lot of opportunities to work to to work in the media industry uh, through sports betting. So when I met you, it was, yeah, it was probably 2010, maybe the very beginning of 2011, and I was writing about fantasy sports previous to coming to the college. I graduated university, started a blog, was writing at a site at the time, and then was like, well, I kind of like this. Let's see if I can get into the actual media part of this. See if I can get paid. To do this because especially then it was a very difficult to get paid a cent writing about fantasy sports despite the fact that the business was booming it really wasn't until daily fantasy came in to the scene 2014 2015 that actual pay started to come along with a lot of this stuff and it just you know, those companies started throwing a ton of money around but i mean you how long did you teach at the college of sports media yeah, I was there three years. I'm, I'm thinking, Pat, you so you must have been my first, uh, the first year of the class, uh, first year I was I was at CSM. So yeah, I ended up doing three years there. And then I did teach an online writing course for a semester in the sports media program at, at then Ryerson University um, before I left Yahoo in 2016. So when you see students come in and they, uh, we used to write, you know, a sports column. For you, that, that was the first task that we were that we had to do, uh, and I was basically writing from like a fantasy and gambling perspective. I would guess, especially where you were localized within Toronto, that I don't know, ninety percent of people wrote like weird fan commentary about local sports about how oh, here here's why the Maple Leafs are broken and here's why they need to fix it and that kind of thing. Where I just feel like that stuff doesn't play. Even at the time, it was at the back end of actually playing with 
out real analysis. And it's funny because in that group of people that we had, you had me writing about you know fantasy sports and James Herbert, who I believe is with CBS Sports right now, was writing about basketball on a very analytical level. Gary and Thorne, you know, who's still on the show to this day, was writing about baseball from a very analytical perspective. It must have been strange to see some columns come in that were just, you know, if 90% are the same, you have this 10% that are just bizarre based on what you probably expected coming in. Yeah. And I know, I know you slept through a lot of my classes, so you, you might not remember this, but uh, you know, probably the best, best advice I gave, I gave you and, and other students was to find your own voice and that you had to, you had to find that secret sauce that was going to differentiate yourself from other people in the market. And, that's why, you know, when I think about my three years there, like your your name comes to mind immediately because you were doing something unique and you you had uh, you had an immense amount of talent back then. And, and I'm not saying that because I'm here on, on a Zoom call with you this morning. Uh, James Herbert, I was thinking about James before, before his name brought up. I think of Peter Galindo, who was writing really smart, uh, really smart commentary on soccer at, at the at the time. Um, you know, Israel Fear, who ended up coming and working for me at Yahoo Canada, uh, Izzy was, was you know, was writing smart and, and doing things in a, in a different, uh, different way back then as well. So you and those other people, they stick out because they weren't just writing fanboy stuff or, or you know, writing 250 words on, on why, uh, why the Leafs should move so-and-so down to the, down to the third line or, or make a, a goaltending change and and that's not I, I don't want to be disrespectful to other other uh you know to your your fellow students in the in the course at the time but but that's the reality and if you look at back pat at your at your class and and the subsequent classes that i taught at csm and at ryerson uh it doesn't surprise me at all when i see the people who have been successful in the industry because uh that that was reflected in the work that they were doing back as students well, I, it's funny. I just I saw a tweet the other day from Andrew Webster. Uh, so when I got a chance to know, he worked at the Score, he worked at Sportsnet, worked at TSN, TSN and the Score, I believe. And I mean, everyone who worked at the Score back in the day with with Cam and Gabe and Rob Pozzola, Jeff Feinberg was there. It was a really great crew of people, and they seemed to have a ton of fun doing it. And then eventually, you know, they sold. Somehow, they sold their TV network and didn't include their app as a part of the sale. And the app was by far the most valuable thing that they had. So uh, shout out to them for making some very savvy business decisions uh, about what well, they did with their properties. I, I always tell people, uh, um, Pat, that John John Levy is crazy as a fox. I mean, everybody, everybody, a lot of people that snickered at John when he ha hung on to the digital business and thought, "What well, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And uh, <laughs> the old saying goes, John's having the last laugh. So uh, basically what he said was, he said he's feeling for all the Bell employees. Bell owns TSN, working their sports media dream jobs that just got let go today. It sucks. Working, working in media sucks. Working in sports media sucks even more. And he quoted Gabe Morenzi and says, if you're thinking about working in sports media, don't. And I, I think that you can think about that one of two ways. I think that the fact that it is a dream job for basically anyone who works in it. Like everyone will tell you, this is why they got into it. They love sports. They want to cover sports. And I think that leads us down two really weird paths when it comes to it. You get a lot of cheap labor and you can force people to work at the weirdest times because if you don't do it that way, then you're never going to move up. I remember being told 
at the College of Sports Media. Like if I ever wanted to get myself onto TV, the only way I could realistically do that was go take a job at a local affiliate in, you know, but fuck nowhere, Canada, and you know, work there for two years in the sport. And maybe I'll get on the sports department and be the local sports reporter. And then I could go to a bigger market and I would have to work my way up the chain to work back to Toronto to get on national TV. Now, fortunately, the technology had caught up at the time and no one was using it. They're like, hey, I have a camera. I have a computer. I have a microphone. I can just put myself on the internet. It's much easier. Then I don't have to go to any of these places that I don't want to go to, and I can talk about what I want to. But you see a lot of people, especially on cutting highlights, working on the the radio, uh, radio row, like in terms of like just processing digital information that comes in, writing stories for the web, even associate producers on a lot of these shows, even producers on a lot of these shows. They don't make a ton of money. They work long and weird hours. They don't get holidays off, and they do it because they love it. And it does feel like, a lot of these big companies have exploited that for so long that you get one of two things. One, people can't afford to do this job anymore. It just doesn't pay enough, especially with the cost of living going up in most of the major centers where a lot of these jobs actually exist. So for a lot of a long time, it led to the very same type of person being involved in sports media. They generally come from, I don't want to say wealthy families, but well-to-do families where their parents can support them while they're making absolutely no money working this job. And hopefully they can catch on and you know have a job that pays them well and they can move up. But without that safety net to begin with, there was no chance that they'd ever get or even start to try to get into the industry. So you had a lot of the same voices, especially behind the scenes for a very, very long time. And I think that the internet has democratized that. It's made it cheaper in a lot of ways to be able to do that. But if you were going to get into it now, like if it was you and you were starting out, would you want to be cutting highlights at TSN or would you rather be writing a blog for yourself and hopefully that that adds itself up and then you can cash in on that and you're not at the winds of layoffs? Yeah, that's that's a hard one, Pat. I mean, again, I've, I've uh, you know, my path, my career path wasn't easy. I mean, I, I worked seven years at weekly newspapers. I mean, I was I was a small town kid from Eastern Ontario. I, I went and got a journalism degree at Ryerson, and I thought I'm going to have to work my way up to the food chain, and maybe if I get lucky, one day I'll cover the Leafs for the Toronto Star. And uh, you know, so I started in Kincardine, Ontario, for 125 bucks a week in 1981. And yeah, same thing. Like I made enough money to pay pay my rent and pay a car loan. And when the car broke down, I phoned home to my mom and dad and asked. If they could send me three hundred dollars to fix the muffler, um, but you you have to you have to love this love this job. And and uh, my wife, you know, I'm I'm going to be sixty three in two weeks. And my wife's been retired now. She was a healthcare worker for thirty years. Really difficult work. Um, a lot more difficult than what what I what I've done. And uh, she she's often says to me, she says, "You'll never stop working." And and. That's because my my work is my is my passion. Um, you have to be really nimble. I mean, I, I think you know a little bit about my career, but I've taken a lot of different twists and turns. I mean, I, you know, I, I often joke with people that I, you know my career has proven that I it's I can't hold down a job. But uh, you know, I've been a sports writer. I've been a sports editor. I've been uh, you know I've been a, pub, a media relations person. I've been a consultant. Uh, you know, I've been a marketer. Uh, and, you know, I'm now covering. I'm covering gambling and, and could, you know, two years ago, if you and I had had this conversation, I, I couldn't tell you the difference between a money line and a, and a parlay. 
Uh, but, uh, you know, and I still, I still struggle with that, but I'm, I'm covering the industry. I'm not, you know, I'm never, no one's ever going to come to Steve McAllister for advice on, on who, you know, who to bet on to win the U S open this weekend. Um, but, but, you know, I, I'd like to think I'm doing a pretty good job covering, covering the industry, but yeah, you, you have to be willing to, uh, you, you have to be willing to pardon the pun bet, bet on yourself. Um, and, you know, a good example I'll use quickly, Pat, is, is Lucas Weiss. And I don't know if you've crossed paths with Lucas, but Lucas was a young uh, graduate of the Centennial College program at, 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 uh, in Toronto uh, right around the time that COVID started. And Lucas started doing a podcast and he would he was he would call everybody up. He called Stephen Brunt. I, I appeared on this podcast. Uh, the guy started getting some freelance writing gigs with the star and Yahoo. And Lucas is one of the guys who survived at the athletic this week, a good, young, talented guy. And, and I think I look at you and I, I so there are opportunities that, again, it sounds hokey, but I, but it's true. If you're willing to work hard in this business, you, you can be successful. And I think if you and I are both honest, we look at people that I taught and that you were classmates with who aren't working in the industry now and I don't think that would come as a surprise to you. And it certainly doesn't come as a surprise to me. No, and uh, you could almost see that at the time, the people that were going to stick through this and do it. But again, there was also a lot of, there were some people that I went to school with that just had an awful lot of leeway. And it's funny, because leeway financially, just a big safety net. And it's funny because the people that ended up ultimately succeeding the most, not all of them, were the ones that basically had none of that safety net. They had to go, make it happen as quickly as possible. They did as most in a short period of time to get themselves into a position where they could be you know, financially able to pay their rent and pay their car loans and actually make a career of this instead of, like I know one guy that did like basically four years for, of free work in terms of like, or minimum wage work, like cutting highlights. And he just, you know, he lived downtown, had a really swanky place, parents footed the bill. Like he was never going to advance. He had no incentive to advance. But when you start to take a look at these people, when we get back to the layoffs, it's more so in TV than it would be at The Athletic because people at The Athletic have very specific jobs. And if the beat is not producing, maybe that's why people end up getting shifted around or there's not enough money coming in from the subscriptions that they're selling based off a certain writer. I mean, I don't actually know the behind the scenes of it but when we're talking about espn or tsn and these tv networks the people who cut the highlights and things like that they're essential to the process but they're also highly disposable at the same time too based on based on what management would think yeah and i think you uh you know i do think you have to be somewhat ambitious and and um especially in today's environment if you if you think that you're going to be able to cut highlights for 25 years I think that's a bit of a pipe a pipe dream, and so you have to be willing to to learn new skills. I think you want to be willing to take on new new challenges. And when I look back at my career now, Pat, like when I started my career, I was typing out stories on a on a word processor on a floppy and storing them on a floppy disk. And you know, here I sit, forty like forty one plus years later. And, you know, I'm, I, I, I tweet, like I did, I've handled social media for, for the biggest uh, nuclear power plant in Canada during the pandemic <laughs> and never would have seen that. I mean, I, you know, I was Bob Goodnell's media relations guy talking to a hundred reporters a day during a lockout in 1994, 95. And when I was covering the Blue Jays for the Canadian press and, and, 
1992, I could care less about collective bargaining agreements and franchise values and free agency and, and wanted nothing to do with the business of sports. And, you know, I got to the point when I went to the Globe in 2000, now I'm doing segments on the business of sports every every Tuesday night with Greg Sansoni and Martine Geyard uh, up, up at the uh, the old Holiday Inn Hotel at uh, at uh, Wayne Gretzky or Blue Jays Way, whatever it's called, in, in, in King Street. So you have to be you have to be a fighter. You have to be a survivor. But I do think you can still have a very long and fulfilling career career in this uh, in this in this business. But but you're you're right about uh, you, you are are right. It's that, that employers do take advantage, whether it's uh, it's teams or leagues or, or, you know, we're really seeing it with national sports organizations, which are coming, you know, are under the spotlight right now uh, with with the abuse of athletes. And, and, you know, that's a system where people just get churned, you know, they go from one SO to the, to the next. And, and we're seeing that that's, you know, that that's proven to be somewhat of a of a disaster. So. Uh, yeah, you. If you want to work in this industry, you you are definitely going to get taken advantage of at some point. Last two things: How much do you think that AI writing, uh, once it gets up to speed and is able to actually provide game previews or provide betting analysis, not necessarily like analysis, but give you a structure where, hey, here are the teams, here are the players, here are the lineups. Give me the stats. Give me like a five hundred word write-out, and I can do that for every single game. And instead of having you know, 12 people write the 30 home team game previews from both a real, real life and then betting angle. You just have a computer do all of that. Then you have one person copy edit it to make sure that everything's right in it, catch up the wording a little bit. So it sounds like a human made it. And then all of a sudden there are 12 more jobs gone. Yeah, no, that's absolutely going to happen. I, I had that conversation with somebody who's in the, uh, uh, sports betting business and on the media side yesterday, and they're already using AI to write. And as I said to them, I said, listen, it pains me as someone who's, you know, made a career out of the written word. Uh, but, you know, who's going to pay who's going to pay someone thirty five dollars to write a preview of a, of a Vikings Jets game uh, when you can just put it through AI? And, and, you know, like you said, have someone who can put an SEO friendly headline on it, uh, give it a quick read and, and, and ship it out. And it goes back to what you and I were talking about before, Pat, and, and you and James Herbert and, and Peter Galindo and others, is that it makes it even more important that you you find that you find that secret sauce and that that's something special that that makes you stand out from the pack. I did notice that Yahoo Sports did hire a it's a new role, president of Yahoo Sports. It's Ryan Spoon. He was at ESPN. He was the CEO, COO of BetMGM. Uh, he had been working with a company that I had been talking to. Uh, so rare. It was like an NFT sports fantasy betting thing. I didn't quite understand it. So we didn't end up doing a deal. But now he's in the, the president of Yahoo Sports. Do you think you're going to like we talked about sort of the old hats coming in? running things the way that they've always known how based on their experience. And that doesn't really mesh up well with what the current landscape is in terms of video. However, do you think you're going to see more of these hires of people who have been around at a few places, but really they're at the forefront of, they have some sort of background either with a gambling company in the gambling space, and they're going to take over much of television sports production, or at least be in charge of that, the written word, uh, because they will know how to streamline the monetization of these products? 
I think that's the only way it's going to work, Pat. And, and again, I mean, 20 years ago, I would I would be you know stomping my feet and jumping up and down and saying, no, you need you need to hire a journalist and someone someone who knows how to break news and do investigative stories. Um, you need to start with someone who can actually monetize the business so you can hire investigative journalists and hire a woge and 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 break news. And I think you know, smart people realize that that's, that's the path is, is get someone in there who knows can do deals with, with, with a sports book, uh, can bring in the, the amount of revenue so that you can then invest properly in reporters, copy editors, graphic designers, social media people, uh, camera people, producers, and, and actually put out, uh, you know, put out a product that, that uh, not only is excellent, uh, but is sustainable. Uh, last thing you said you were at the you moderated a panel at the Canadian Sports Gambling Conference. Uh, what, what are some of the just interesting things that you heard from that conference? I, I know Pizzola was there. You were talking to him. Uh, I was going to come up, but I'd been away the past two weeks and my wife wouldn't have enjoyed that so much. But uh, I, I always find those conferences fascinating. I go to the fantasy sports one and gaming conference every February in Vegas. Uh, I haven't been to this one, but I'm always curious to know just some interesting things that people heard there. Yeah, well, I joked at the start of the panel with with Connor, Chris, and uh, and Jared yesterday that you know probably seventy five percent of the people in that room and the room was was packed for that one. You know, think think that they're experts on content and wanted to be up on stage, and we were probably going to have a royal rumble. Uh, but it, it's true, right? I'm sure you get the same feedback from from your audience. Everybody thinks that they they can be a journalist or can be a storyteller or could be writing for writing for a website or or uh, creating their own Pat Mayo experience. Um, yeah, that, that particular panel was interesting. Um, you know, just hearing Connor Murray talk about how that relationship between FanDuel and TSN has evolved. And I think they're doing a lot of things, right? Like I, the fact that they, when you go to the FanDuel on a Leafs game night, they have the Leafs on TSN product and you could place bets there. And, and, uh, they're the traders at FanDuel work very closely with TSN's editorial team. And, and so, you know, they're, I think they're, they've really found their found their lane there, even though it continues to evolve. And Jared Bieber, they've kind of leaned heavily into into uh, athletes and former athletes. And and uh, you know, Jared had a great anecdote yesterday about they, with George St. Pierre. They don't have GSP, you know, giving betting odds, but they they have him present information. I think you touched on this earlier. He kind of talks about what he's looking at in the fight and how how a certain fighter's trained or the tendencies of the two fighters and why why he thinks that gives fighter X or you know gives Pat Mayo an edge over over Steve McAllister, and I I like that idea of using that kind of information and insight from a former athlete to then take it to the odds and say by the way Pat Mayo is you know minus two fifty and and but I the way Steve McAllister's trained I think he's a really good bet at plus one ten. And uh, so that that was interesting. Um, and then for, for Chris Abbott, you know, Botano's a new player in the marketplace. So they're trying to find their lane and, and they're working closely with uh, with, uh, you know, J.D. Bunkus on, on, on a podcast. And, and uh, they're a sponsor of uh, uh, Ray Ferraro and Darren Drager's podcast. So there's a lot there's discussions with those people and the producers as well. Uh, so that was really interesting. And then just on a on a high level, Pat, there's there's a lot of excitement about what's going on in Ontario right now. And, you know, there's one, 45 operators in the province. 
Um, not all of them are gonna are gonna survive, but um, iGaming Ontario released yesterday a report that it it had, had uh, it had commissioned Deloitte Canada to put out, and and uh, you know paints a really rosy picture. Things from the fact that twelve thousand jobs have been created in this new industry uh, in the first uh, the first twelve months, and then you know more than a billion dollars in in revenue with billions more to come. So. Uh, and I think it's just, you know, it's a time where we're 14 months into this industry here and there's just a lot of excitement about what's going on. I'm always curious because no one ever says it at these conferences, but it's something that I uh, I don't know to be true, but very much believed to be true, that the only reason that these sports gambling companies actually exist is to get people on their site and try to convert them over to the online casino. Yeah, I think that's a fair fair statement, and and there are some operators here in Ontario, Pat, who made it quite obvious, or you know, they they say that sports betting is not that's not their uh, that's not their priority. That they they're you know online casino is what's going to drive their business, and I I think that's fine. I'm not I don't play online slots. I'm not a I'm not an online blackjack player, but there's certainly uh, a market for that. And as you know, it, it is a, it's a contentious, you know, it's, it's a vice industry. So there's some struggles, you know, the AGCO is looking at, at the advertising right now and looking at banning athletes and other celebrities from appearing in sports betting advertising. Um, but, you know, if you look at what happened before uh, last April, you people, as you know, I mean, you've been doing your business for, for a few years now. I mean, it's not like sports betting has been happening for a long time and you know you can take people at at what it's worth but they the the belief is that a regular a regulated industry is better it brings in tax dollars um there there is uh you know there are i think uh better responsible gambling gambling programs and for guys like you and i it's created you know created opportunities and for me when i when I get out of the sports media business in 2016, you know, I actually end up going to work at a at a nuclear plant in, in corporate affairs, and I thought my journalism career was over. And being able to cover this industry for two years now and doing what we're doing with with Homestand Sports has has reinvigorated me professionally. And and uh, as I said, I'm I'm you know going to be 63 on June 29th, and I'm I'm as I you know I'm still excited when I get up in the morning and. And I love what I'm doing right now. I, I like the idea that there is a lot of people watching right now think like, well, I can do that. And the answer is yes, anyone can do this. And there's, but there's no barrier anymore preventing people from doing it. That's why we've seen so many individual success stories about people not going to have to grind in the middle of nowhere or paying hundreds of thousand dollars for a journalism degree. Like, I mean, I benefited a lot from going to the College of Sports Media. I learned how to use every piece of equipment, how to properly use it. But I mean, in 2023, I could probably just YouTube all that stuff, couldn't I? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, and I I, th- I think you hit nail, nail on the head. Some of the best uh, some of the best broadcasters and journalists in this country, uh, Pat, never went to journalism school. I mean, uh, Dan Schulman, I think, was a was a finance graduate from Western University. Uh, Elliot Friedman was a Western grad, uh, nothing to do with journalism. Stephen Brunt went to I think he's a Western University grad. Uh, so yeah, you can work in this business, but it's not easy. I did, just a quick story before we wrap up and. I coached minor hockey with a guy in Brampton uh, year when I was at the Globe and Mail. Uh, our, both our daughters played, and uh, 
he said one day about me, he says, you know, like I, you know, I, 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 I think I could do what you do. And this guy was like a project manager in, in the manufacturing sector. And I'm thinking like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I, I wouldn't even begin to pretend that I could be a project manager. And you're telling me that you could walk in the Globe and Mail tomorrow and become sports editor. Uh, you know, a, a job that I worked for, I worked for 20, 25, 30 years to get to that, to get to that place to, to manage what was then, I, I really believe the best sports section in the country. I mean, that was highly insulting. And, and I'm sure you hear that all the time as well. But um, it is a difficult uh, business. And to your point earlier, it's not an eight to four job. Uh, you know, I've, I've, you know, I, when, when the, uh, the last NHL locker ended, I got a phone call from Nick Katsunika at four o'clock in the morning that, that the, uh, that there was a settlement and I had to get up and edit a column and post it on the website. Um, that's, that's the norm. That's not the exception. So it's a difficult career, but it, but it can be really rewarding. And, and as I said, I've, I've, you know, again, not, not to sound cliche, but I, I really do feel blessed that I, I have had the career I've had and, and met so many great people. And, and again, those three years at CSM were, were a, a highlight of my career because of meeting people like yourself. Do you and think I say that gonna... sincerely. Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, I mean, I, I assume it's just from meeting me, not all the actual nice people that went to the school who are, you know, were probably a bit bit better to deal with as students than I was. But do you think there's a reckoning coming for advertising, both in the U.S. and Canada? Because I know that some states are already talking about it. Like, you, you just can't have sports betting. Not Because the same thing happened with DraftKings and FanDuel in 2016. And then New York State ended up banning Daily Fantasy for a while. And a lot of it just had to do was with the obnoxious amount of ads that people were seeing on TV. It feels like that's happening again. Yeah, absolutely. And I I'll say, Pat, I think that's great for guys like you and me because, um, uh, because sports books are going to, it's easy to throw money at advertising and, and to, to place ads on a Super Bowl or hockey night in Canada or the world series uh, or a world cup of soccer. Uh, but now they're going to have to be a little bit more creative and not be so complacent. And that's been a challenge in Ontario because in the States, um, in Ontario, you, you can't advertise bonuses and inducements. And that, that I think, was a problem for a lot of operators who came in this marketplace where it was real easy in the U.S. just to say, hey, have an ad basically with, with the pretty girl running around and saying, hey, if you get an account right now, we'll give you $3,000 in, in free bets. Um, so I, I think what it's going to do is operators are going to have to look to people like Pat Mayo uh, look at homestand sports and and create uh, create really good uh, content uh, that you can you can use to promote your brand. So I I I think it's a it's a good thing for um, for people who are making a living in in sports betting media. Well, I hope so. I mean, I, I would like people to come to me and back up a Brinks truck once my new deal is uh, going to be all settled. That'd be very nice. My, my my family and I would very much enjoy that. And I think the viewers would enjoy it too, because I've always put a lot of the money back into the show uh, to keep it going and try to do more shows and try to do more things with it because you know, that's what I enjoy to do. Almost like you. It's like, I, I do feel, I mean, I mean, blessed is big, but uh, I, I feel very lucky that I get to do this. And I've been in the right place at the right time for a lot of this, you know, starting a podcast in 2010 turned out to be a huge advantage on people who didn't start podcasts in 2010, tried to start it in 2023. You just, 
there was such a smaller pool of people to draw from and compete against at that time. And then you get this built in audience. So can you tell everyone uh, where to both find you and what you do want to promote to, if you're covering the sports betting industry, I think that's something that a lot of people would be into. Yeah, if you want to read about the industry, Pat, um, Gaming News Canada is available on Substack. So, you know, we offer uh, paid and free subscriptions. I mean, I, I would like, uh, we, you know, it's nice when people pay for the product because it is, I write about 6,000 words a week. We do Thursday, Tuesday and Thursday newsletters. So there's a lot of good information. Um, we all, I also include uh, jobs in the uh, job opportunities in the, in the newsletter for paid subscribers. And then we, uh, as I mentioned, I think earlier, we we're on LinkedIn audio every Thursday afternoon. We talk about the industry for an hour and then we produce a podcast of that that comes out on, on Friday. So again, you can find the podcast on uh, the, the Gaming News Canada page at Subs on Substack. And that podcast is also available on Apple and Spotify and I think a couple of other uh, podcast platforms. Well, thank you for being on. I want to thank everyone for watching the show today. Uh, I hope the U.S. Open goes well for everyone. I hope you've learned a few things about the uh, the internal workings of the industry, because I did, and I work within the industry. There's always so much that you don't know going on with a lot of this stuff, whether, you know, profits, layoffs, you know, why people get let go, why people are consolidating, why things go into business, why money gets funneled to a different point. And, you know, I hope to do some more of these shows in the future because I find this stuff really fast. Maybe it's just me who finds it fascinating. I don't know. I feel like this is something that people would want to hear about just a little bit. So you can follow me at the PME on Twitter, subscribe to the Mayo Media Network on YouTube for podcast versions, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast for the Pat Mayo experience. Smash the like on the way out too. I'm Pat Mayo. I'll see you next time. Pat Mayo experience. Experience. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.